Hello and welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast, a podcast that's part movie club, part improv comedy. My name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. What are your grocery store treats? Grocery store treats? I'm a sucker for ice cream, specifically um, Bluebell ice cream. Okay. Um, I am not... Those people, the, all the candy that's on the checkout lane, I don't mess with any of those anymore. No, 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 no. Because if you're going to do candy, go to the candy aisle. Yeah. Right? What like, are we don't doing? Sell all this stuff is way short. too small and it's very expensive. Right. Um, I'm a sucker for Bluebell ice cream, specifically Cookie Two Step, which is cookie dough and cookies and cream. So it's got cookie dough bits in it and like oh. Oreo crushed up in the same thing. Yeah. It's fire, bro. Comes in a blue carton. If it's. On top of that, I'm a big fan of freezing chocolate chips and eating them with pretzels. Okay. Just like, you know, like rolled golds or whatever? Yeah. Just straight up, like, see if you can find, like, a saltier pretzel and then eating that with chocolate. A lot of people would, like, go straight to dips, the actual, like, manufactured chocolate-covered pretzel. Here's the thing. It's not very much, and you never get the perfect salt. I don't want salt and sweet in every bite. I want to alternate. Be like, oh, this is a little salty. Let me get some sweet. Oh, this is too sweet. Let me get some salty. And you just bounce back and forth. And you can like, I'm big on creating your own ratios. Okay. And then, Yeah, no, that's that's definitely fair. I'm not a big chip guy. If I had to grab chips, maybe I'd probably either Takis or Flamin' Hot Cheetos but I'm, and, and Pringles. And the so normally Pringles. like like people's grocery store treats usually line up with the things that like they didn't have a lot of like you know, that was treated as a specialty, as a delicacy, even as a child. And so, right. you know, in my house, we would have juice. You know, juice was pretty frequent, mm-hmm. but like Sunny D, not not as often because, you know, and then I also realized, you know, oh, I can just like I bought a carton of fruit punch for myself because that's a thing I can do. And did I buy a carton of fruit punch that was only $2? Yes. Does that mean that it was probably not great fruit punch? Also, yes. But I drank the whole thing and I don't regret a single drop. Yeah, dude, you just have to scratch that itch. Um, Yeah, here's the thing. If, if it was kid me, do you know how fast I would buy chocolate milk? Oh, yeah. Sometimes I still buy chocolate milk because chocolate milk is a good kind of like morning drink where like if I don't want to eat a whole breakfast, I'll just take some chocolate milk and that'll satiate me. Mm-hmm. Um, but as an adult, when I buy all these things, I understand why I was not allowed to have them very much as a kid because you take one sip of, let's say, Sunny D and you're like, oh, wow, I feel that being my entire sugar intake for the day. Yeah, yeah dude, that's freaking... I mean, that's why I went way with chocolate milk. I did not have chocolate milk the second I graduated. I have not had it since. Because, like, regular milk in school is gross. Everyone agrees on that. There's a couple people, like, when strawberry milk came out, that became, like, strawberry milk-only people. And then there's some people who just, like, were rich and got Gatorades every day for lunch. Um, But I was a chocolate milk guy. Since graduating, I have not had chocolate milk since. And I would, I'm surprised. Because that seems like it would line up. My favorite thing to get now that I never got when I was younger or I didn't get to choose is cereal. I only buy good cereal. If I'm in the mood for cinnamon You're a big cereal guy. Big cereal guy. Dude, I had half a box today and I buy, I only (laughs) buy family style because like I go through a box in one sitting. I fill up my bowl four or five times. Like I've seen this man get his bowl ready and like, listen, 
this is this this is not the coolest bowl that we could be talking about getting ready, but um I've seen him prepare a bowl of cereal and it is like a it is a ritual with this man. He has like he has his preferences. It it is a process. Dude, I I have it refined. I know everything about cereal. I have it refined onto a process down to like how I open the box. Also, I took cereal so seriously when I was younger that I considered the bowl and the spoon one of the ingredients. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm like it's four ingredients for cereal. Milk, cereal, a bowl and a spoon. And I'm like, and that's obviously crazy, but I know that I needed those four things and I had to check for those four things. So if we didn't have bowls because they were in the dishwasher, I'm not washing a bowl. Or if we didn't have spoons because they were in the dishwasher or they were all dirty, I'm not using it. I checked the cereal before I put this whole thing together. Is there is there a full box or at least a three-quarter full box? Because half a box is not enough. And then you check the milk. Because the last thing you want to do is pour cereal and realize you don't have enough milk. That, that's not happening. I'm a bit, dude, I'm like, I am the biggest milk, the biggest cereal guy I know, which is wild. Okay. So, uh, so when you are opening a box of cereal, you know, you said that you have this down to a science. When was the last time you accidentally broke the top of a box? Years. Years? Years. Years? I have it down to a science. Yes. I know what I'm doing. I'm a pro. That's why all these amateurs are like, yeah, dude, I, it's like one in eight. I'm like, really? Because I haven't done it in years. I don't. It happens so infrequently. I don't remember the last time I did it. Okay, because I was going to have a follow-up question, which was, do you believe that whenever you break the top of a box, it's your fault or the manufacturer's fault? Oh, it's always and your so fault. So I guess that. Because you're an amateur. Yeah. Because you don't know what you're okay. doing. Hold on, wait. I walked in here trying to gauge a genuine interest in 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 your hobby, in your serial hobby, and here I am for being attacked for no, being I'm just, an not amateur. You. Everyone else, <laughs> everyone who's like, "Oh man, this guy," I rip every other box from these guys. I'm like, "Well, that's crazy," because I never have that happen. Because I know what I'm doing. I'm about my business, bro. <laughs> hey, if you love something. Get good at it. I've put in my 10,000 hours, bro. I'm as good as it gets. My cereal right, is guys, soggy. Have... Never. I always put in the right amount of milk. I... Okay, but you have to admit that there are some cereals that are better soggy. Uh, I'm going through. So I'll give you my big five. Honey Bunches of Oats. Not better soggy. Cinnamon Cro- Toast Crunch. Not better soggy. Um, Lucky Charms, which is... It's in the top five, but I don't, it's usually the the big, the first two that I drink, uh, eat all the time. Uh, not, definitely not better soggy. Uh, Frosted Mini Wheats, not better soggy. And Frosted Flakes, not better soggy. Honorable mention would be the Golden one, Grams. The, the two that I had in mind were like Cocoa Puffs and um, Reese's, Reese's Puffs. See, I'm not a chocolate, because okay. I make cereal, it's a cereal thing. I know a lot of people like candy and they make dessert. There's a lot of people who have cereal for like dessert. That's their late time snack. They want something sweet. No, bro. That's not what cereal's for. Cereal is for, I want to get 1,500 calories. <laughs> because In 15 minutes. Yeah. And I always have headphones on, and I'm always watching a show. It takes me about 20 minutes to destroy a box. Destroy a box of cereal. And I only have it on the weekends, because that's when I have time for breakfast, and I'm skipping lunch. Because it is. It's, I'm eating seven servings, you know? So, like, I know I'm not going to be hungry for hours. Um, and a lot of people are just like, oh, I'll have a nighttime snack. It's too sweet for that. Too sweet. I'll end up eating too much. Or I'm not hungry enough for it. Um, and then I don't eat it for breakfast 
because then I'm gonna kind of want to keep eating. It's gonna ruin the rest of the meals. Also, it's like if you if it's a cold morning, cereal's not for you. You want it on just a regular day. Yeah, dude. I, like I said, I could teach a class on this, but we need to talk about something else. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, we have to shut down the permanent good podcast and replace it with Alex's cereal podcast. You know, we're gonna we're gonna put it in the brain thing for a little bit, and then we'll come back to you. But yeah, bro. Whoa. It's as good as it gets. I, I'm a pro. I'm actually, I should be getting paid. Well, anyway, this week we're watching the Ben Stiller movie, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. This is not really a spoilable movie, but if that's still something that you're worried about, or you just don't want to hear us talk about a movie, you can skip to the next segment, which appears at this time code right here. Time code, 26 minutes, 30 seconds. I... I'm going to start off by saying I liked this movie more than I thought I was going to. Um, And you've never seen it before? I've never seen this movie before. A lot of people herald this movie as like a very kind of film bro movie in a way where like it's divisive by a lot of people. You know, the the Rotten Tomato score is like at 50%, but the audience score is like in the 70s. So Mm. a lot of people have split opinions on this movie. And the way people talk about this movie is they're like, you're either going to love this movie or you're going to hate this movie. And I think that may be a bit of an extreme reaction because like this is the most dramatic work that Ben Stiller had done up to this point in his career. It's still very much a Ben Stiller movie. Right. Like, let's not. I don't think people get... also realize what a Ben Stiller movie is. And then you watch this and you're like, oh, you can see his voice in this. Yeah. So if you want a quick rundown of the plot, Ben Stiller plays Walter Mitty. He takes an interest to this new girl that starts working at the magazine that he works w- that he works for, which is obviously Time Magazine, but they call it Life Magazine. And so he's like. I really want to win this girl over. I'm super interested. And throughout the course of the workday, he's like, he realizes, he finds out, not only is life being acquired, they're shuttering almost all the departments, everyone's getting laid off, and they're producing one final physical magazine. And uh, Ben Stiller's character, Walter, had been sent the negative, the film negative of the final cover, but he cannot find it. So the movie is about him tracking down this eccentric wayward photographer to try to find the film negative that could potentially save his career. And the kind of gimmick of this movie is that Walter Mitty has these incredibly intense and lucid daydreams so he will go into this his own little world and he will dream up these most complex imaginative scenarios about what's going on around him and just completely Mm -hmm. tune out the people that's actually talking to him and so that's kind of the main gimmick of the movie is seeing his imagination infused into the real world yeah it's One of the more interesting parts of the whole movie is watching him zone out. Yes. Um, yeah. So the ha- the transition is sometimes very smooth. We're like, oh, I wonder. We, we're daydreaming, obviously. When did this start? And then there's some where it's like night and day. Oh, now he has a beard and long hair, and he looks like he just got done climbing the Alps. So like, it 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 all depends. It's it's interesting. 
there are some no matter what no matter how smooth the daydream intro is the exfil always a little rocky because the the dreams end the way they end in like a cheesy 90s comedy when like the person in the dreams just starts saying his name over and over again it was like walter walter hey are you there walter I i was asking when do you think we should go like, okay, oh, that was awful. That was bad. And they do it right. every time. What do you think about the Kristen Chenoweth? No, that's not the right name. Kristen Wig. Kristen Wig. Um, subplot and the phone calls with the guy from the dating site. Do you think any of that was interesting? Yeah. So I, this might be a hot take, but I don't love Kristen Wig as a comedic actress. Um, she's not a selling point for me. Yeah. For any If she's in comedy. it, cool. But I'm not going to go see the movie because she's in it. Let me just mansplain what selling point is real quick to the audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I recognized that it was her, I was like, oh, interesting. Kristen Wiig in kind of a more dramatic piece. And I think that she, I, re- I, I actually really liked her performance in this. So it was nice to see her do something a little more dramatic and have it work out well. So I did like her character. Um, I am a sucker for Patton Oswalt. I love him. I love him a lot. I did not care about the Todd parts of this movie. Yeah, um, I didn't know it was him until... I looked it up on IMDb. That's like it makes crazy because it... Patton Oswalt is like one of my most recognizable voices. I will pick that dude up in a heartbeat. Yeah. Now that once you hear it, it's one of those things where, oh yeah, how did I miss that? But like, I didn't catch it until like I was on IMDb during the movie. Yeah. And so there's this like micro theme in this movie where he goes on eHarmony because the girl that he has a crush on is also on eHarmony. And he kind of has Patton Oswalt's character as a liaison to try to make his profile more interesting. So that way she would be interested in him. And so there are a few phone calls where he's talking to Patton Oswalt's character. And like, these are the new things that I've been doing. Here's the adventures that I've done since we last talked here. And that's kind of like check-in points for the audience so we can see how Walter feels about himself as the movie goes on. Because with each phone call, he's less interested in the concept of online dating and he's more interested in who he, Walter, is as a person and refining that. Right, because he talks like, well, where are the interesting places you've traveled to? What what do you do on the weekends? Who are your friends? And he's like, I don't have any friends. Like, I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't done anything. He goes, really? You haven't done anything? And then I think it draws attention to the fact that like, hey, like, what have, what do I have to show for my life? And I'm about to get laid off. What? Why Why would she be interested in me? Yeah. Um, as far as the daydreams for this movie goes, maybe this is kind of like an, in, maybe this is done on purpose, like an inception thing, or maybe I'm bad at reading, uh, social clues and subtext where I thought, it, you know, I always knew when a daydream ended, but I took this movie pretty literally for most of it. Like the movie had to like go out of its way to tell me that it was a daydream for me to understand that concept. Um, Cause this movie takes some pretty wacky wild turns that like yep. a normal person would not go to. Like this guy goes to Greenland and then takes a boat to Iceland and he jumps out um, of a helicopter with radio equipment to a boat. 
and goes to Afghanistan and climbs mountains. So, like, I interpret that all as literal because the movie didn't tell me otherwise. Right. But, um... I also think that, you know, a case could be made. This movie is abstract enough to where, like, if those were daydreams and somehow this ended up being just how he interpreted the events of him getting laid off, then, like, you know, that that I, I wouldn't disagree with that take. Right. Here's my thing. I like symbolism. What I don't like is when the whole movie's up for interpretation. Because, like, for things like Inception, right, you get to the end of Inception and goes, okay, was that all real? Was it not real? That's cool. Because it brings into question the whole movie, whether or not it was all real. What I don't like is I don't know what I'm seeing. Like, when there are shots and they go, well, he's sitting down and everyone else is standing up in this shot because it shows his independence. The fact that he was gifted a wallet shows, brings attention to the fact that he's dependent on money and he's been making choices based off of money. And this whole movie is about him changing to a person where finance is not the biggest point. It's self-discovery. I'm like, that's too much. I don't want that. I don't want the actual movie to be a bigger symbol of him and his life. I mean, you can use it as like a secondary thing, but it can't be the main point. I don't want the whole movie to be like art that's up for interpretation and we're all staring at the same painting, getting something different. That's, I feel like super subjective, which is why you have people who love this movie and hate this movie. Because at the end, you can be like, what did I just watch? That's how I feel. Yeah, and and that's why... I don't know if it's an active choice I make, but it's something that I stand by, which is which is why I take movies so literally, unless they tell me otherwise. Right. You need so, someone to be like, hey, just so you know, there are grand themes in this. Or there's like yeah. specific arcs. Um, Wes Anderson does that a lot. Um, or, But I also like clues. I like clues as symbols. Like Tarantino will be like, um, this character stayed on a horse. Um, at the end of the movie and not the beginning of the movie because now he has more power before he was a slave and now he's not anymore he's playing a character so now he can stay sit on the horse i'm like that's great because that's that's like details that's like trivia you know what i don't like is be like if you watch in the beginning he's on a horse and that's because he grew up in a family of horses or what horses symbolize in this is his dependence on his father. I'm like, no, no, we're drawing. This is, I need someone to, if that's true, I need a character to say it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because that's annoying. Did you have to read like the red wagon in like, uh, oh, English yeah. class? Yeah. The red wagon and also the plums. Yeah, bro. Um, that's the stuff that pisses I'm, me off. So, Here's the thing. We need to actually not have this conversation because I did find a newfound appreciation for William Carlos Williams, like, <laughs> later in life. <laughs> so if we want to talk about the plums, we can talk about the plums. Um, but I understand the comparison you're making. Yeah. Um, it's just like, and well, I, actually, I like taking let's actually movies. Let's stay here for a second. Let's stay here for a second. Sure. Because, like you said, both of those poems are incredibly frustrating when they're being taught to you because they're taught to you in a vacuum and you're kind of forced to be you're looking given for meaning when you don't see any right yes and so what i learned about those poems later is that 
William Carlos Williams actually got a lot of criticism during his poetry career because his purpose was to make poetry uh, accessible and introductive to kind of make these poems that could show like, hey, sometimes a poem can be as simple as saying I'm coming back for my red wagon. Or, I'm upset that you ate my plums. And once I was given a different lens to look at these poems through, I appreciated them way more as kind of like what they represented. And so, if you look at this movie and you don't know what you're seeing and that's your problem with it, that's totally fine. Because this movie doesn't give you that second perspective on its own. It definitely... I would not, I would understand if you needed somebody to be like, hey, look at this next scene through this window instead. Right. So I definitely understand like what that perspective is coming from. So, and my thing is like, I'm okay with that if the movie kind of gives it away. Like when when you watch Tar, right? You know what you're getting into because the first scene is, I mean, the credits, you're, you just like, okay, let me put on my, you know, filmography hat and uh time to become a film student for a couple hours and study what does your filmography thing. hat look like my filmography hat is a beret actually <laughs> okay and it's mine, my mine is a three foot tall uh uh, smoke pipe hat. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, um, people cannot see behind me when they sit behind me. Right. I also uh, twist a non-existent mustache, and uh, whenever someone's talking to me, I look at them over the top of my glasses. Okay, I pull on a really like stringy beard that I should really just shave. Right. But the thing is, I need to know whether or not I'm supposed to put on the hat when I do this. This movie does not give that away until you're halfway through and you're like, oh, is this the movie? Well, now now I'm now I need to go back and watch everything over again cuz I didn't know I needed to have my hat on. And so this movie is funny, right? But it's not like a comedy. You know, it's Ben Stiller and you see Ben Stiller's voice like you said. Um Throughout the entire thing, he has that speech pattern that is very clearly Ben Stiller. Um, The comedy is very, like, subtle. Um, And so when we get that tone early on, you know, it's easy to look at this movie through the lens of, like, what we would expect a Ben Stiller comedy to be. And I think by the time he... Leaves for Greenland, maybe, yeah. is kind of when we as an audience have to be like, this movie is not what I thought it was, and I need to change my perspective. And so once that happened, you know, I was able to do that, and um, I didn't really have any problem with it. Yeah, this is just not my type of movie. I think even if I sure. went back and put on my filmography hat, because this is the second time I've seen the movie. So I, the second time I was able to put the hat on, because I'm like, okay, I, I know what to anticipate. Um, I will say cinematography of this movie is incredible. Gorgeous. It's a super pretty movie to watch. I think the plot is lackluster. I think the relationships are lackluster. There's one arc you need to pay attention to, and that's Walter's. All the other arcs are non-existent. Like they're, The characters are barely in it. There's definitely a moment when you're like, when he's going to Afghanistan and you're like, why is he still doing this? Right. Like, haven't you learned your lesson yet? This is one of those things like when a person makes a wish with a genie and it gets messed up and then they do a second one and it gets messed up. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you only got three of these, right? You didn't pay attention for the first one. 
Hey, man, you already went to Greenland. You didn't learn your lesson the first time. Have we not had an epiphany yet? What's going on? Yeah. So I was kind of, I, I think that this is a movie that I think on your first watch through, if you intend on doing more watch throughs on your first watch through, it, take this movie at face value. Like, let it be like this lighthearted, silly movie that, you know, lets itself be dramatic sometimes. Um, I think the dramatic moments are few and far between, and they don't have this, like, everlasting staying power, but um, it is nice. I, I, there's not a lot about this movie that I downright hate. Um, I think most of this movie is just pleasant. Yeah, I would say that. I oh, But here's the thing. This movie is filmy. This movie is filmy and for our audience. It's just, it's, it's... Oh, serious is not the right word because it's not a serious movie, but like it's artistic. Yeah. I mean, that's when we break down film versus movie. We it's kind of the scale of art versus entertainment. And obviously those things are a little more amorphous than a linear scale, but it's a good guide to help us. And I think that this if. It doesn't sit very far on the film scale. Like, I would plug it at, like, 60-40. Yeah, I think that's fair. But, like, for people who are watching Marvel films that are, you know, 5% film, it's this is, yeah. like, way more than used to. We're used to this, and I, I know that there's just some films I like and some films I don't. I think a movie a bad the difference between a bad movie and a good movie is all subjective i mean it's very it's it's very easy to just be subjective i think a good film and a bad film it's like it can be a great film there's gonna be people who still don't like it i feel like a great movie everybody likes so yeah. actually completely opposite of what i just said a great movie <laughs> is very it's not very subjective i think most people are on the same page films require so much to be left for interpretation what lens you're looking through that it's polarizing which is why, like, you really weren't loving Citizen Kane, you know? It's filming, yeah. you know? But, like, that's what happens. And I th- and I think we're going to see that with this movie. I'm giving it a five. It's just... Okay. It, it's okay for me. It's very pretty to look at. But I was like, it was boring for me. Yeah. But I know people who, like, became photographers because of this movie. That's crazy, yeah. Um, I give this a seven and a quarter. Yep. I liked it. Yeah, that tracks. All right. Um, Alex, what are we doing for our improv segment? We're doing The Apprentice. Um, welcome back now, movie listeners, yada, yada, yada. Um, The Apprentice is our improv segment, which is where usually we have a guy or a female, an individual, you know, who's coming into a workplace. Um, there's a professional who's been doing this for ages, but he's never had to explain what was going on. So this person is now working with someone who got hired for a job, went through the whole interview process and knows more than they do. And then we're just going to watch how they react. All right. Um, Alex, do you want to be the master or the apprentice? I want to be the apprentice. Okay. What job do you want to learn? Um, I want to learn, uh, editing. You're an editor. Let's say for, want to get meta with it for a podcast. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, which is, this oh. is hilarious. Cause I have not, ne- I haven't edited a single episode of PG. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, you ready to get started? Uh, yeah. Um, where's your editing bay? Oh, I just, I, I just kind of, I just use my laptop. Oh, um, okay. Do you have any other monitors or a scroll wheel or anything like that? No, I, like, no, it's, it's just my, it's my, it's my laptop. It's my trackpad. You know, I don't really need a mouse. I kind of just 
lay in bed when I edit it. Um, you know, not not much work goes into oh. something like this. So is this like um, when's the last time you're in the office? Did you just come here because of me? Um, yeah, I actually have not been here before. Uh, you guys, did you guys move locations or something? Is this like a new place or? Do you usually no, we, we just kind of have a Dropbox account that I have the password to, and all the files just show up there when I need them. Okay. Um. Well, walk me through your process. What is it like, you know, getting the cuts? Um. How many podcasts do you edit for? Do you ever meet with the Yeah, talent? so I edit for, so I edit for two podcasts. Okay. Um, and everything, you know, I just kind of let them do their thing, and they have faith that I'm going to do my thing. So sure. uh, first, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to line up the tracks. Now, um, when the talent is recording their episodes, they're going to have mm, no sensibility in when they start their recordings or how to line them up. So we kind of just wing it every time. Um, normally, I kind of just like... Wait, how does that work for up- video podcasts? Like, won't, the, won't they get out of sync? Won't you see, like, the mouths off from the audio? Have... Have we been putting out a video podcast? Yeah. Like every week, right? Is that someone oh, else's someone job or has that been your job? Well, if it is my job, I haven't been doing it. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Uh, what uh, programs do you use to edit with? I just use Audacity, if I'm being honest with you. You know, just, you know, it, it's a free installation. It only crashes like every other time you use it. And there are mm-hmm. orphan blocks that you have to deal with. I kind of don't know what those mean, but I kind of just hit ignore um, and nothing seems to be messed up yet. Okay. Um, now, here's what I'm going to show you real quick. Yeah. This right here is the wiki page for Audacity, and it has like all the information on all the editing tools that you're going to use. You're going to read an article about a tool that you think you know how to use, realize you don't know how to use it, and the article didn't help. So you're going to read a bunch of information, retain none of it, and then just carry on like you never read it. Okay. Um, what's your, like, schedule as far as putting stuff out? Um, so I can kind of work through stuff pretty fast because I just speed up the audio. Like, Doesn't that listen, help? How, how, okay. Yeah? That's confusing because don't, with a sped up audio, isn't it hard to, like, catch, you know, the pops? And anytime someone's peeking or anything like that? Um, no. So what I do is I kind of put a noise gate on the whole thing. So like if anything is under a speaking volume, it automatically gets cut out. Now, if you have some talent that's particularly quiet, sometimes they get cut. That's a consequence that we have to deal with. But you're doing it on purpose. And you're getting paid. I think. I got hired to do this job for $200,000. Are you? What? Yeah. What are you? That's what I'm wondering. Like, we're making enough money. We should be taking this a little bit more seriously. Dollars right? an episode. What did you say? I get paid seventeen dollars an episode. Um. I, okay. So, a couple of follow-up questions. Are you getting like company stock or anything? No. Because I'm getting. It, hold on. Five percent. Are they contributing to the four hundred one k? I don't even know what that is. Do you, Do you have benefits? I mean, I have a pretty comfy bed. That's a benefit. Um. How long have you been doing this for? Like two and a half years. And you're working for free? Well, hold on. Let's not get let's not get it twisted. Not for free. Because you're doing right? seventeen get... hours, seventeen dollars an episode. How long does it take take you to make an episode? You're speeding it up, like so 40, it's a little bit fast, but like forty five minutes. You're making like twenty bucks an hour, and that's I like guess. what forty bucks a week. Yeah, Do you have another job? It's rough out. No, it's rough out here. Hey man, um, are you okay? <laughs> 
I don't think I, I think I need to go talk to HR. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so most of our episodes don't go like that, but I'm not upset. <laughs> I'm not upset. I just want to say that scene was rooted in so much truth. Alex, yeah. I cannot tell you how many Audacity articles I've read and walked away just feeling stupider. Oh, man. I realized when you said the actual program we're using, I'm like, oh, we're not making up anything. You said you were making two <laughs> two podcasts. I'm like, well, that's also true. There's a lot of truth to this. <laughs> uh, all right, Alex. Um, when we were When we conceptualized this week's middle segment, we're doing PG Book Club. I asked, do you have a book? And he said, oh, I got a book. So I'm excited to hear what you chose. I chose Philosophy 101 by Paul Kleinman. Is this a textbook? No, it's kind of like a, it's not too far away from like philosophy for dummies. I went through a huge philosophy phase, okay? It lasted like a year. So I bought materials and I have not- Who's the author again? What was that? Who's the author again? Paul Kleinman, K-L-E-I-N-M-A-N. Okay. Oh, hold on. There's a whole subtitle to this book. Philosophy 101, from Plato and Socrates to ethics and metaphysics, an essential primer on the history of thought. Yeah. Hey, hey, Paul, too many words. But it makes you sound so smart when people, when you say it. I guess, you know, if, if you're the kind of person that has that entire title memorized, you don't need the book. You got it already. Well, now you know why I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to page. Th- I haven't read any of this and we're just, I'm going to read a section and get your thoughts. Um, these, this is from the philosophy of humor um, on page 150. If you're following along at home, these ideas of comedy and laughter are found in work of Western philosophy. In Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan, Hobbes calls humans competitive and individualistic and says that by laughing, we are expressing superiority through grimaces. What do you think about that? By laughing, we are expressing superiority through grimaces. I I always struggle with philosophers who go out of their way to make humanity um, intrinsically evil and evil is a strong word to use in this scenario but like um inherently selfish right right? and so by this guy saying like hey if we're laughing that means that we feel better than someone i'm like no typically i'm laughing because i feel bad about myself actually right it's i sometimes think of like what does it take to become a good philosopher you know what i mean like do you just because at at some point right all the ideas have been explored or maybe not explored but written down so like how do i come up with something new and then the fact that we're talking about laughing and super i feel like we're just saying words you know and i feel like a lot of philosophy um it just has to feel true like have you ever had someone tell you a fact you're like yeah that could be true i don't know i haven't googled it but like maybe like if I told you that like 70% of men don't go over a week without meat, but women often go over two weeks without it. You're like, could be true. I believe it. And I feel like that's what philosophy is in general. They're like, laughter is superiority of self. It's when you, you know, detach from who you are and you can look at a situation and laugh at it, which is why people can laugh at themselves. And you're like, oh, that sounds about right. I guess I'll believe um, you. I just want to say... Uh, Paul Kleinman has more bodies of work in case you were curious. Okay. 
Is um, it, it philosophy related? Um, yes. Okay. And so his other titles are exactly what you would expect <laughs> because there's like psych 101, psychology facts, basic statistics, tests, and more. I can't imagine any of those are board approved. And then I love, I love when um, self-help writers, because that's what this guy is. He's a self-help writer. Takes the edgy route because he has the bullshit artist. Learn to bluff, dupe, charm, and BS with the best of them. Like, <laughs> okay, dude, calm down. I feel like I got to buy that now. I think you do too. The thing is, is like, when you, I don't like serial, I don't like people who are authors for a living, especially when it comes to nonfiction. Because when it's fiction, you can just make stuff up whatever you want. Nonfiction, it takes research, it takes time. And it feels like this guy's like, yeah, I followed a guy around for a couple of weeks and then just Googled the rest and cranked out a book in six months. That's what it feels <laughs> like. You know, I feel like when you read that book, it's going to be like, I already knew this, or I didn't need someone to write it down for me to know it. I feel like that's his whole, like, catalog anyways next All right, section give, g- yeah give me one more section at least um i mean sure uh eastern philosophy uh schopenhauer is notable for being one of the first philosophers to incorporate eastern throughout his work he is particularly drawn to hindu and buddhist philosophy his pessimistic viewpoint is incredibly influenced by the four noble truths found in buddhism here they are the four noble truths are life means suffering the root of suffering is desire there is hope and hope is found within the eightfold path okay i i find it weird that he prefaced it with mentioning a pessimistic view because i'm not a religion professor or anything but from what i understand buddhism is like the most peaceful of them all right maybe and this so, comes from like an acceptance perspective of life yeah, sucks and, and the so, sooner you get used to that the better your life's gonna be and so i'm not disagreeing that those are the buddhist you know tent poles but i think that every religion has some sort of aspect of life kind of sucks for a while and you gotta push through it i don't think that's necessarily a pessimistic way to look at it i think that that's actually it's very easy to be like hey there's something on the other side you just have to work for it but this guy's like hey everything sucks and it's gonna stay that way so good luck buddy yeah i don't know about this you know it's one of those things that like i mean it's not not true but i feel like it's just words you know what i mean when say people say life is suffering i'm like life is a lot of things you know i feel like why did you have to say that it's one of those things that like when something's going bad you gotta say this is totally normal and then when you're not doing it anymore you gotta be like i hope i never do that again but i just said it's totally normal so like, that, well, that was me to get through it yeah so I'm like, does this only apply to certain people? Or is that just something you say to make me feel better? That's what it feels like. So I think here's my game plan. I think that you and I, we got to do this segment like two or three more times, pull from different philosophy books, and then we just make our own because I'm detecting a pattern here. First of all, we can make a, dude, we need to make a book and just you and I just go back and forth between chapters. We can write a chapter on film versus movie easy i'll write a chapter on serial okay <laughs> so hold on so this book has no um over overlying theme it's just each chapter is the shit that we think we could do well <laughs> yes it's just okay. essays so i'll Got write an essay right. on serial um we can write an essay on movie versus film we can write an essay 
on you know what makes a good movie. modern philosophy dude we got modern philosophy we could murder bro we would be <laughs> okay. so good at it I, I think we could it'd be easy to come up with 20 chapters and we could put out that book and we could find some people that would buy it okay we could yeah that'll be our next merch drop <laughs> okay that'll be part of the merch all right um that concludes the pg book club we'll bring it again we just promised we we're going to come out with a book um if you hated it suggest a book we should do i'll take hey and if you were paul kleinman and you listen to this segment i'm sorry i guess I, I i'm not sorry but like i'm sorry that you had to listen to it uh, come on the pod defend yourself yeah all right one hit wonder um this is something that i'm calling what makes a baby and it has nothing to do with actually making a baby it is just the fact that you have one child with another on the way and you've discussed that, you know, you've been partaking in a lot of children's media as a consequence. Right. So with your next child on the way, I think that we need to build the perfect children's television show. So we're going to pull from other classic and modern children's shows. And we need to, like, decide on the best parts of those shows and how we can build that into like the magnum opus of children's television. Sure. All right. So we got to start off the Holy grail, which is yeah. bluey. Yes. Bluey I agree. is rated like in the thirties of TV shows all time on IMDb. And it's good. Like unironic, like it's quality entertainment. It's good. So, and I think it comes down to three things. It's, realistic and and as far as relationships how relationships work it makes sense that parents interact with their kids like this kids like siblings interact with each other like this it makes sense um two it's easy for adults to watch and when adults want to watch something or can watch it easily the kids will see it more often aka getting eyes on it and we need views you know so we need to have it be seen more often and i think the third thing is and this is i'm, I'm not 100 sure about this is there's accents bro it's Australian. Okay, you think that's an you think that's part of the charm? I think it's part of the charm. I think that's why Peppa Pig's still around. That's trash TV, bro. It's so Guy, bad. Alex, I'm so happy you've brought this up because I've seen like some clips and like there are some Peppa Pig video games that I've seen some gameplay of because they're easy achievements and watching that i feel stupider walking away from it like i have this vitriolic hatred for this show that i've never seen a full episode of i've just seen clips of it makes no sense how that show gets written produced and published like it's mind-boggling it's bad bro also think back to the wiggles that was australian w they, wiggles was my show dude it's like, so good wiggles and blues clues were my thing and so what we can pull from those two shows wiggles and blues clues is the interactiveness of them right right so also, dora wiggles, does the same thing yeah but dora like, does it say bad. this do this and then it and requires so, interaction from the audience. The difference, I think. So the Wiggles didn't have the call and response that uh, Blue's Clues and Dora does, if I recall. But it had this, like, you know, easy to pick up song and dance uh, structure. We have to have to music it. in our ones because Bluey doesn't have music. Yeah. And I, but I feel but, like it's super common around kids stuff, so we have to do it. Yes. And so what was good about the Wiggles is that, at least from my perspective, 
is it's super easy to crank out catchy and bad children's music. But I felt like the wiggle still had like an aspect of musicality to it right. that made it listenable. Well, dude, fruit salad, bro. Yummy, yummy. So I think you got to do that. I also had characters like Captain Feathersword, Bomb. So I think we have to introduce, so it has to have an accent. There has to be music. There has to be an element for adults. Um, has to be like relatable. It has to make sense. The characters have to make sense, bro. What I don't want is like, um, like the characters in Bluey, like the adults have to go to work. Yeah. And I'm like, good. Cause you know how confused I was in like Sesame street where there are just like kids around. I'm like, aren't you supposed to be in school? Where are your parents? Are we, are you just hanging out with other adults? Some of these adults have jobs. Some of these are just like around like what's going on. Um, also I think we should stay away from educational stuff. It's too boring. Yeah. And so I think that children's programming needs to be like nurturing rather than educational, which is what blues clues and bluey like have in their, in their corner is that like we're still teaching you a lesson you just don't know that we're teaching you a lesson yeah it's not like which one of these is the circle it's just that stuff annoys me and i think that's what makes it painful for adults to watch because we know what circles are bro so i think that needs to happen also great animation we need to spend money in production for the freaking animation and we need to pay the talent well and get good talent in yeah, cause I hey Peppa Pig, you're going, you're hey, you're going on the chopping block again. Um, the fact that that show looks like it was drawn in a children's uh like sketchbook, and you know that's it. It's I hate it. Oh my god, yeah, it's freaking brutal. <laughs> Dude, I think we got a good basis. I think we could. Uh, I think we've got a good basis. I think if anyone so, wants to make a show off of the criteria we just made, uh, I'll take like a fifteen percent cut. Yeah, absolutely. So. We just want one we want one show that is engineered for children that is quality and it's and these are the baseline quality factors. Right. So you're welcome Nick Jr when you inevitably make this television show. Right. Freeballing. Uh I have one thing that I'm going to bring. Do you want to yeah. bring one thing as well? Um have I watched one thing? Uh, no. I'm not if gonna... not, I can just do my one thing. Yeah, yeah, just do your one thing. Okay, so I have one thing that I want to talk about, and I want to talk about John Wick 4. Oh, All right? dude, I want to see this movie so bad. And you watched the so other three, I am, right? Yes. Beautiful. Now, I am not a John Wick fanboy. I've only seen the movies once, mm-hmm. and gun to my head, I couldn't tell you what the plot of any of them was. <laughs> nice. Now, this movie is almost a comedy because the level that John Wick has plot armor in this movie is absurd. Now, <laughs> he's the main character and like normally I don't mind when the main character has plot armor. This time it's crazy. <laughs> he gets hit by several cars going like at least 15 miles an hour Holy in the same fight. So like, I think he gets hit by like four cars in the same fight sequence and he walks away. There's, there's a scene where he tumbles down must be four flights of stairs. And granted this time he has some difficulty getting up after that one, but the fact that he got up at all is crazy. (laughs) So, you and I, we love secret societies, right? Big fan. And and the Continental is up there in terms of what we want from secret societies. 
Now, the problem with secret societies is that when they're in a franchise, you have to make them more and more complex in order to make them interesting. We have now reached the zenith in which the Continental can be complex and have me still care. Because, you know, <laughs> the plot of this movie is John Wick getting his freedom, you know, so the the... The foot of the high table is no longer on his neck. And the way they go about it is like Lawrence Fishburne unearths this ancient rule that everyone knows about, but no one adheres to and no one enforces. And so we're going to force them to stick by this rule. And so John Wick can finally get his freedom. And I'm like, that's bullshit, but okay. (laughs) So, as far as the action scenes go, they're amazing, obviously. No one is questioning that. There's a scene uh, that takes place, I think, in Japan, and there's a bunch of swords and bows and arrows um, mixed with the guns that go off, and I love when they do. I love when, like, traditional fighting is blended with modern fighting. Mm. I'm a sucker for that, and they do that very, very well. Um so I think that this movie should be two hours and 10 minutes of nonstop action instead of three hours of action and a little bit of plot. Um, so I rest this movie comfortably at like seven and a quarter. That's good enough for me, bro. Yeah. Listen, if all you want is action, you're going to get it. Don't you worry. There are a lot of really cool action scenes. Sweet, dude. Um, but yeah, so short free ball in this week, short podcast this week, but that's okay. Um, Alex, what are we watching next week? We're watching the Western, the 1990s classic Tombstone. I'm freaking. I got no, I I got no witty preamble for this one. Yeah, it's got <laughs> uh, Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, and Sam Elliott in it. Kurt Russell's one of those actors that like is secretly one of our most watched actors because he was in so many Fast and Furious movies, but. I'm excited to see him in not that dude. He's, he's a legend. So I'm very excited to see it. 1993. I mean, we've talked about this movie um, or the world has talked about this movie for a while. So I'm excited to finally see it, but that's next week. Until then, my name is Craig Wells, AKA permanent handle. And I'm Alex. Good. AKA Alex. Good. Have fun. Be safe and make good choices. And while you're at it, tell your mama said hi. See you next week. Deuces. Deuces.